Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire. Today's episode explores the life of a woman who survived the great hunger and against all the odds lived into the 20th century. It's the first in a mini-series of podcasts where each one is based on research that didn't make the final edit of my upcoming book, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland in 18 Murders. Now finishing any book is always the trickiest part because you have to cut out material that you'd love to include, but this series allows me to share those stories with you. Alongside today's episode on The Great Hunger, the next podcast will look at the story of the first modern royal visit to Ireland, which took place in 1821. That had all the pomp, ceremony and scandal you would expect. There's also an episode on the life of an addict in the Irish Revolution. When I came across her story, it really intrigued me because it's not something we often think about addiction in the early 20th century. So her life is fascinating on that front. Now, as I said, they were all originally intended to be included in my upcoming book, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland in 18 Murders. So if you like this show, you'll love that book. As I've said previously, when I was writing the book, it was you I had in mind. Now, the book is going to be out on September the 14th, but you can pre-order today at Eastons.com and when you use the coupon code FD10 you get a 10% discount. I have links to that in the show notes below. Now pre-ordering is great because they actually ship the book before it hits the shelves. That means if you live in Ireland you'll have it delivered to your door on the day it comes out and if you're overseas it'll land in the following days and if you use that code FD10 you'll get 10% off into the bargain. Also, if you're in Dublin on September the 14th, I'd love for you to come to the launch. It's on in Hodges Figgis Bookshop on Dawson Street at 6pm. So it's a perfect time to drop in on the way home from work. It'd be great to see you there. I also have links to that in the show notes below. Now, let's get on to the story of Catherine Mulhern. Sound on the episode is by Case Dunley. In the autumn of 1915, Dublin was a city bracing itself for what was going to be the second winter of an increasingly long war. The optimism that had defined the early days of World War I when people had been comforted by delusional predictions of rapid victories and an imminent end to the conflict were long gone. 
With a population focused on what were clearly momentous, even epoch-making events, there was little thought to the increasingly distant past in 1915. Indeed, on October the 1st of that year, Dublin had, it appeared, lost yet another connection to the Great Hunger, and no one even noticed. On September the 30th, an unknown woman, Catherine Mulhern, had been moved into the hospital wing of the North Dublin Union Workhouse. Aged in her early 70s, it was clear Mulhern was not long for this world. She had always been in poor health, but in late September she had contracted bronchitis, which in her case proved a death sentence. Her condition in the hospital hadn't improved and she passed away the day after being admitted. Her death was a lonely one, without pomp or ceremony, friends or family. The only other person present was another inmate in the workhouse, Michael Murphy, who worked as an orderly in the hospital. In the aftermath of her death, few, if anyone, outside the workhouse noticed Mulhern had died. She had been living in the institution for years. Furthermore, most in Dublin in the early 20th century regarded those in the workhouse as the desperate and destitute, the poorest of the poor, people of no consequence. However, when Mulhern died, Dublin had, it seems, lost a major figure in the city's history. Catherine Mulhern was, very possibly, one of the last survivors of the great hunger in the city. Now, if truth be told, there were many in Dublin at the time who had lived through the famine of the 1840s. Judging on the census of 1911, there was probably about 16,500 people alive in Dublin who were aged 70 or older, meaning they had lived through the great hunger. But living through and surviving those terrible days were very different things. While it is true, few had emerged unscathed. The Irish people had not suffered equally. The poor had endured harrowing and traumatic events, and surviving evidence suggests that Catherine Mulhern had suffered more than most. Back in the early days of 1847, two people had perished in a hovel in the north inner city, an event regarded by some in Dublin at least as the first famine-related deaths at the time. Now as you're about to hear, that woman who died in 1915, Catherine Mulhern, had been a child living in that same hovel. I say almost certainly because no one ever bothered to ask this frail woman who she was. Few, if any, took notice in her life, or in her dying for that matter, so no one knew her history. This leaves only workhouse and prison records to piece together the fragments of her shattered life. But it's a fascinating story. It begins far from Dublin, in the northwest of Ireland, in the early months of 1846, and in the difficult decisions facing the poor after the failure of the potato crop the previous year. The loss of the potato crop in 1845 a crop that fed around 3 million people in mid-19th century Ireland, had initially spelled crisis, but not catastrophe. Many had looked forward to a good harvest in 1846, banking their hopes that it would lead to a return to normality and rescue the situation. Irish society, poor as it was, could survive one bad harvest. While others had hoped and prayed, a couple, John and Ellen Mulhern, took the decision not to wait in their native Leitrim, but instead took to the road in hope of finding a better life 
elsewhere. Now, this can't have been an easy decision for the family. The couple had four children. Now, while their eldest, a boy named Francis, an important figure in this story, appears to have already left home for Dublin, they had three young girls and they would find life on the road hard. It would pose unknown challenges and dangers. Mary, the eldest of the three girls, was only 10 years of age. Next came Catherine at the age of four and Rose, the youngest of the Mulhern daughters, had not yet reached her first birthday in 1846. Nevertheless, unwilling to live by the vagaries of the undependable and unreliable potato crop, the family headed for Dublin. What their ultimate plans were was never recorded. John and Ellen may have hoped that they would eventually emigrate to the US or failing that Britain, like most who took to the road in Ireland in the 1840s. In that case, Dublin would never be anything more than a temporary stop where they could get work and save enough money for their passage onwards. However, after completing the 160-kilometre journey to Dublin, the Mulhearns did not find a city of opportunity. In 1846, Dublin was struggling and had been for decades. The 19th century had been cruel to the city. In better times, it had been a rival to Liverpool for the status as second city of the British Empire behind London. But by the mid-19th century, few would have seriously entertained the notion. Politically, socially and economically, Dublin was a stagnant backwater and increasingly had the feel of a provincial town rather than a city of empire. While the entire island had laboured under a prolonged recession since 1815, Dublin had its own unique problems. The passage of the Acts of Union in 1800, which saw the United Kingdom expand its borders to include Ireland, had transferred political power from Dublin to London. In the following decades, some of the wealthiest residents followed suit, relocating to the imperial capital. Of those who did remain behind, the growing trend of moving from the city to the suburbs saw the city centre fall prey to dereliction as the rich abandoned their houses. Meanwhile, the growing numbers of poor who left rural Ireland in the 1830s and 40s, even before the Great Hunger, moved into these houses where they were ruthlessly exploited by landlords. In houses designed to cater for one household, each room was now rented to a single family. No allowance was given to the fact that the neighbourhoods lacked the infrastructure to cater for such a dramatic increase in population. Disease and death flourished even in good times. Increasingly struggling, Dublin was never a place to realise dreams in the 19th century and in 1846 this would prove particularly the case for the Mulhearns. On reaching the city, the family took up lodgings in the north inner city, a series of tightly packed neighbourhoods that hugged the northern bank of the River Liffey, which divided Dublin. Starting life as an overflow of the old medieval city, it had become a labyrinth of streets, alleyways, courtyards and markets that housed tens of thousands of people. There was reason, though, the family were drawn to this part of Dublin. The western end of the north inner city, in particular, had affinity for migrants from rural Ireland like the Mulhearns. The Smithfield livestock markets, alongside the fruit and meat markets closer to the city centre, were frequented by and well known to farming communities for obvious reasons. Therefore, when the Mulhearns arrived in the area, they found a degree of familiarity in an otherwise bewildering urban landscape. 
Further to this, it does seem that their son Francis, who had already left for Dublin, was now living at 72 Manor Street, four doors up from his uncle Dennis Delaney in the same area of the city. However, the Mulhern family would have little chance to adjust to life in Dublin before the city entered into a profound crisis. While they arrived in the early summer of 1846, a few weeks or maybe at most a month or two after they landed in the city, the hopes that a good harvest would rescue the crisis in rural Ireland were dashed when the potato crop failed for a second year in a row. Indeed, the situation in 1846 was even worse than it had been in the previous year of 1845, and this triggered widespread starvation and a full-blown famine in rural Ireland. In Dublin, even though the urban poor were less reliant on the potato, the loss of that crop, so integral to the wider Irish economy, resulted in the rapid rise of all foods. In the following months of later 1846, starvation set in, and following on the heels of hunger, the major killer in all famines, disease, reached the city in the later months of 1846, devastating the densely populated working-class neighbourhoods of the poor. The dangers this posed to the recently arrived Mulherns were amplified by the fact that each day increasing numbers of people fleeing poverty, starvation and disease in rural Ireland arrived in Dublin looking for work and food. By September, it seems, the family were already starting to suffer. Their eldest son, Francis, was already in dire straits. On the 28th of September, he was admitted to the North Dublin workhouse, where he was described as a beggar and delicate from want. He would remain in the institution for nearly a month, leaving in the middle of October, but outside, the rest of the family were faring little better. By November 1846, John, Ellen and the three other Mulhern children, Mary, Catherine and Rose, were living at number 6 Hendrick Street, just west of the livestock market. Situated on the boundary of St. Mickens Parish, one of the worst slums in Dublin at the time, the accommodation they rented was an old 18th century dwelling, divided into several units. In that house, they would have to endure a winter that proved to be one of the worst on record in Ireland for multiple reasons. While hunger stalked the land, the weather would also turn against the people and the following months saw extreme spells of bitterly cold weather. Initially, at least, John Mulhern did manage to find intermittent work from a farmer called O'Brien in Cabra. Now today, Cabra is a vast suburb of Dublin, but in the 19th century, it was open fields. And when John could get work on this farm, he was paid over seven shillings a week. However, staying ahead of the rapidly rising price of food in the city was nearly impossible as famine prices pushed essential foods beyond the reach of many. By November 1846, the situation facing the Mulherns was increasingly desperate, and hard decisions were forced on the parents, John and Ellen. On the 19th of the month, they made a drastic move and sent their two older daughters, Mary and Catherine, to seek aid in the workhouse. Now, This indicated that the family must have been among the most desperate in Dublin, only the truly desperate would darken the workhouse door in November 1846. It would only reach its capacity of 2,000 people around this time. Now, while this would change dramatically over the following year, there were already signs that the situation in the institution was deteriorating rapidly. 23 people died in the workhouse during that first week that Catherine and Mary entered. 
Under the strict laws of the time, the Mulhern children did not technically qualify to be allowed into the workhouse. They were considered their parents' responsibility. However, the two children claimed they were orphans and were admitted. While the register is unclear, it does seem that their secret was found out and they were forced to leave in January 1847. Now the situation Mary and Catherine, two children just 10 and 4 respectively, found at number 6 Hendrick Street was considerably worse than the one they had left. While specific details are unclear, it seems that the family's economic situation had declined over Christmas because at some point in the depth of that harsh winter, they had been forced to leave the main house at number 6 and move into what was little more than a shack in the backyard. The conditions in which they now existed were scarcely imaginable. While the eldest boy, Francis, appears to have been living a few hundred metres away on Manor Street, in this hut to the rear of number 6 Hendrick Street, five people, John and Ellen, the parents, and Catherine, Mary and Rose, the infant, lived in awful conditions that stretched the definition of a home. The hut was too small to stand up in. The walls were wet. The interior was described as wretched, damp and ill-ventilated and there was two inches of soft mud on the floor. For this, they still had to pay eight pence a week in rent. With increasing numbers arriving in the city each day trying to escape famine in rural Ireland, if they didn't take the shack, the landlord knew any number of people would. Falling deeper into poverty, destitution and ultimately danger of starvation, the Mulherns were increasingly dependent on a soup kitchen being run by the local famine relief committee in the parish where they got a cup of soup and bread four days a week. This alone provided the family with sustenance, but it wasn't enough. By February 1847, weather turned extremely cold and the heavy falls of snow prevented John Mulhern from going to work on the O'Brien farm in Cabra, where he had been previously employed. By the middle of that month, John hadn't been able to work for a considerable number of days. Malnourished and lingering in freezing cold weather, there was not enough food to sustain the entire family at this point. As many other parents would in the coming months and years, John and Ellen stopped eating and instead gave their meagre rations to their children in the hope that this would help them survive. Already weakened and living in appalling conditions, the two became seriously ill. John's brother, Dennis Delaney, who lived at number 76 Manor Street in Stony Batter, did visit the family on Friday, February the 13th, and he found the two parents were now gravely ill. Ellen could no longer speak, while John complained of what he called stuffing in his chest. The couple had no hope of relief, and on Sunday, February the 15th, Ellen passed away in the hut. It would appear the remaining family were now too weak to move Ellen's corpse. Indeed, John, her husband, had already passed a point of no return and he died the following day. When news of the deaths reached the authorities, a post-mortem and inquest on the remains of John and Ellen Mulhern were conducted. The jury was blunt in its findings. It passed a verdict which stated The deaths of John Mulhern and his wife Ellen Mulhern were caused by extreme poverty, destitution and general want of all the common necessaries of life for a considerable time past in a wretched, damp, unventilated, back concern at the rear of number 6 Hendrick Street. The jury were very clear as well about who they deemed responsible, keen to avoid placing blame on the local relief committee. 
they stated in their verdict, We sincerely deplore that the existing government, however kindly and well disposed towards this country, should, for a single moment, adhere to a cold-blooded system of political economy which thus allows famine to invade the very heart of our metropolis and to rapidly decimate our people throughout the entire island. When news of the deaths of John and Ellen spread through the neighbourhood, it created consternation and alarm. They appear to have been one of the first fatalities from starvation in Dublin during the Great Hunger. However, the widespread coverage and harsh words adopted by the press were cold comfort to the Mulhern children. All four children, from 14-year-old Francis down to one-and-a-half-year-old Rose, were now all orphans. With little other option open to them, Catherine and Mary returned to the workhouse, this time bringing with them their younger sister Rose, while Francis, aged 14, did what he could to fend for himself outside on the streets of Dublin. Now, over two separate chapters in my book, A Lethal Legacy, I explore the breathtaking indifference to the suffering of the starving poor by the British government and the authorities in Ireland during the Great Hunger. And I think the experience of Francis Mulhern does embody this. So he had lost his parents in February 1847, and Francis was then reduced to begging by May. However, rather than help this orphan, the police would arrest him and brought Francis before a city court on a charge of begging on the 29th of May. Convicted, he was sentenced to 14 days in prison. Inadvertently, this may actually have been a blessing in disguise. If he could avoid the disease running rampant in nearly all prisons in Dublin, at least the authorities would have to feed him. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Meanwhile, his sisters, Mary, Catherine and Rose, found the situation in the North Dublin workhouse had deteriorated dramatically since late 1846 when they had first entered the institution. The numbers housed there had now reached 2,800 in a building that was designed to cater for just 2,000. While the workhouse did provide the children with food, the risks of contracting lethal diseases was grave. 39 people would die in this institution in the last week of March 1847 alone. Now for reasons that remain unclear, Catherine Mulhern, the focus of this podcast, left the workhouse on August the 17th 1847, while her older sister Mary remained with the infant Rose, who was now about two years of age. Now, disease would continue to claim lives in the workhouse, and this possibly explains the deaths of Rose and Mary within two weeks of each other in late April and early May 1848. 
Now, in the space of 15 months, Catherine and Frances Mulhern had lost both their parents and their two sisters, leaving the two, who are now aged just seven in Catherine's case and 15 in Frances's case, alone in the world. What happened to the pair over the following decade is unclear. Neither appear in the workhouse or prison records in the city. In those years, the worst excesses of the Great Famine did subside in Dublin and the city began to return to some sense of normality in the 1850s, although normality in Dublin was grinding poverty for many. But given the vast numbers of people who had passed through the city in the late 1840s and 1850s, tracking down two orphans, Catherine and Francis Mulhern, was difficult. But it does seem the two did survive those chaotic years. So in 1860, a person that is almost certainly Catherine's older brother Francis, then aged in his mid-twenties, re-emerged when he was arrested twice that year. In the first incident, it was just a case of breaking a pane of glass. No specifics were provided in the report and he received a seven-day sentence in prison. However, in December 1860, he was involved in a far more serious incident. On the 29th of that month, he had entered an oyster shop on Meath Street in the south inner city. He assaulted the shop assistant, a 12-year-old child, Mary Groves, and several people outside the shop in an attempted robbery. That this is the same Francis Mulhern is supported by other evidence in the prison register. The name itself is not very common, but the prison records state that Francis was originally from a place called Mohill in County Leitrim, the same county as the Mulherns had originally come from. The subsequent details the prison authorities recorded reveal a deeply traumatised person, both physically and mentally. Although he was in his mid-twenties, Francis was only five foot one inches tall, which was short for the 19th century and suggests that the great hunger had stunted his growth. A recent study indicates that this was not uncommon. The great famine impacted the height of young people at the time and given Francis had suffered from what was described as being delicate from want as early as 1846, it should come as no surprise that he would suffer a similar fate himself. This was not the only sign, though, of the immense toll that the famine had taken on Francis Mulhern. When his case went to trial in the new year of 1861, he was declared insane and sent to the North Dublin Asylum, a large complex situated beside the North Dublin Workhouse in Grange Gorman. Again, this was not unique. Post-famine Ireland experienced something of a mental health crisis. Now, there are many reasons behind this. It wasn't just the great hunger, and it is more fully explored in a chapter of my book, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland in 18 Murders. But I think it's fair to say that by 1861, Francis Mulhern was a broken man from his experiences in the great hunger. Now, asylum records are very difficult to access, But Francis does briefly pop up in another set of city records, that of the North Dublin workhouse, when he was brought to the institution from the asylum. He was only there for a number of hours. It may have been for treatment in the hospital, but it was long enough that he was entered in the admission book. This would be, though, the last time Francis appears in Dublin records or any other records that I could find. What happened to him and when he died is unclear. He was only 30 years of age, when he disappeared back into the asylum. While Francis Mulhern was not that difficult to identify, tracing his sister Catherine was far more difficult.
In the aftermath of her parents' death in February 1847, Catherine Mulhern had entered the North Dublin workhouse. But as I mentioned earlier, she had left about six months later, in August 1847. Now, given she was around five years of age at the time, she was clearly unable to support herself, but where she went is unclear. It would be nearly a decade later before she resurfaced. When I began looking for Catherine in post-famine records in the 1850s and 1860s, the first thing I needed to be certain of was her name, which would have changed had she married. But after a trawl of marriage records in the city, I couldn't find any evidence that someone of her description had married, so this simplified matters. I could start looking for someone called Catherine Mulhern. I began with prison records. I thought it stood to reason that an orphan like Catherine might end up being forced into a life of crime to survive, and therefore she would eventually end up in a prison. It had, after all, happened to her brother Francis. However, in a somewhat remarkable course of events, Given what else I would discover about her life, Catherine never appears to have set foot in a Dublin prison at all. After this, I checked workhouse records, and it was here that I think I found the first trace of Catherine. In July 1857, a 14-year-old orphan called Catherine Mulhern presented herself at the North Dublin workhouse, the institution she had left nearly a decade earlier. The surviving records provide scant detail of her life, but she was the correct age and, as I say, described as an orphan. Sometimes going by the name of Kate, she would return later in 1857 again and then on four separate occasions in the following year of 1858. In terms of her appearance, her clothing was usually described as bad and dirty. She may also have been homeless at the time as she constantly provided different addresses. She continued to frequent the workhouse into the early 1860s But in 1863, her life changed dramatically. When she arrived at the workhouse door in August of that year, she was now heavily pregnant, although still described as single. A few weeks later, she gave birth to a son who she named John. However, the fact that she was a single mother in the 1860s made her life, which was already hard, even more difficult. Given birth outside marriage was heavily stigmatised in a society that was infused with Victorian morality and increasingly under the influence of the Catholic Church. Single women found it difficult to find regular work and many were forced to the margins of society and some into a life of crime. Therefore, it's pretty remarkable that at no time Catherine appears in prison records in the city. But nevertheless, by the 1860s, she was struggling to raise John on her own. In May 1865, when he was just a toddler, she entered the North Dublin workhouse where she remained for over three years until July 1868. On this occasion, she left for only 13 days before she returned and she wouldn't permanently leave again until 1874. By this point, she had spent nearly an entire decade, most of her 20s, in the institution. During this time, she was also separated from her son, John. In 1872, he was apprenticed out from the workhouse, but to whom is unclear. While the record was relatively straightforward up until this point, and I am confident I could trace Catherine from the time she arrived in Dublin in 1846 up until 1874, when she was about 30, a major problem arose in the records at this point. This was caused by the appearance of a second, different woman who was also called Catherine Mulhern in the North Dublin workhouse in 1874. She was four years younger than our Catherine. However, going forward, I now faced a major problem. 
The age gap between the two women, that of four years, was not enough to distinguish them apart. Ages in workhouse records, particularly as people moved into middle age and beyond, was more of an approximation than a statement of fact. Now, to try and work around this issue, I went to a point of certainty. The death of Catherine Mulhern, where I started the podcast, and I tried to work backwards from this point to see if I could connect up that woman with the Catherine I had traced forward from the famine. So the show started with the death of a woman named Catherine Mulhern, who died in the North Dublin workhouse on October the 1st, 1915. The question is whether she can be connected to the woman who we have traced from the Great Hunger up until 1874. What survives in the workhouse records certainly suggests this might be the case. She was 71 when she died, which would put her birth around 1844. In terms of connecting the two women, I started to work back from the death of Catherine Mulhern in 1915 and I was easily enough able to get back into the 1890s because she was in the workhouse almost continually from 1894 until her death in 1915. She had left for two brief enough spells but always provided the same address, 67 Manor Street, Stony Batter. Having reached 1894, I still had another two decades to cover to get back to 1874, the last point of complete clarity I had. Now, bridging this gap with 100% certainty proved impossible. It's not that there's no mention of Catherine Mulhern at all. There was someone of that name and the right age who spent large amounts of time in the workhouse over those two decades between 1874 and 1894. But the fact that we do know that there was another woman who had the same name in the workhouse in the 1870s throws some doubt on her precise identity. However, I strongly suspect that most, if not all, references to Catherine Mulhern in the workhouse through the 1880s and into the 1890s is the same woman I had tracked from the Great Hunger, and she is one and the same as the woman who died in the workhouse in 1915. A pattern established as early as the 1850s which would see her enter the institution, remain there for considerable periods of time, then leave, often for a matter of weeks or months in some cases, before returning, continued decade after decade, and then, in the 1890s, as we have seen, she became more or less a permanent resident of the workhouse. Obviously, this is not cast iron proof, but this pattern of reliance on the workhouse is precisely what we would expect to find in someone who had had the experiences Catherine Mulhern did in the 1840s. She was not only poor and marginalised, but she was surely a deeply traumatised person for whom the workhouse had become central to her life. It had been a home of a kind where all the key moments of her life had taken place. She had been sent there after her parents died. Her two sisters had died there. She'd given birth there, and if I am correct, very possibly spent more time in that institution than outside of it before dying there in 1915. The lack of certainty around her identity between 1874 and 1894 is the reason why I decided not to include this story in my upcoming book, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland in 18 Murders. With hindsight, I'm unsure about this decision. In terms of understanding the great hunger and the people broken by it, we will only ever find threads of their lives in the institutions of late Victorian Ireland. I could have perhaps included Catherine's story, along with the necessary caveats around the surviving evidence, 
because the surviving threads do shed light on what the survivors of the Great Hunger went through and how so many of them didn't recover. Deeply traumatised, they drifted to the margins of society, where their lives remained haunted by their childhood experiences. They were completely forgotten, leaving us only the faintest of echoes in the historical record. Now that's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. The next show is going to be on a lighter subject. That's the first modern royal visit to Ireland, which was laden with the scandal, gaffes and ceremony you would expect from a modern royal visit. Finally, don't forget when you pre-order your copy of Aletha Legacy at Eason's.com and use the coupon code FD10, you get a 10% discount. If you do pre-order the book, they will ship it before it goes on sale. So if you live in Ireland, it'll be delivered to your door the day it comes out. And if you live overseas, you can rest assured knowing it's already on the way to you on the release date. Until next time, Sloan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.